This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to Draft Deeper here on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. You're without a grown-up today. Nathan and Maxwell are both gone, and they left me, your host, Stephen Gillespie, for today. Run around with scissors all by myself, but fear not, because I'm not alone. I realize that I'm not equipped to run a show by myself, so I had to bring in one of the big guns from the No Ceilings NBA family himself, that being Tyler Metcalf, half of the flagship program that you heard twice last week. Metcalf, what's up, man? How we doing? Oh, I'm fantastic. You know, I, if there's something the listeners needed more of, it was definitely my voice because um, they haven't gotten nearly <laughs> enough of that in recent episodes. So, um, no, I, I'm I'm excited to talk about some of these guys today. Uh, grateful that you asked me to come on. Should be a fun one. Yeah, so I sent Metcalf a list of players that we're going to talk about. Completely just psyched him out. Today we're going to be – I'm just going to be, you know, hounding him over the latest mock draft that he and the other Tyler uh, did this last – I'm just kidding – um, that was a great show, by the way. I'm glad that we finally got a uh, a mock draft out there for the No Ceilings family. How did you feel afterwards, by the way? Let's just let's just flesh that out real quick. Uh, good for the most part, um, except one pick that I've just been ridiculed for <laughs> nonstop and incessantly in group chats and on social media. But that's fine. It's fine. I, I recognized mistake almost <laughs> immediately after I did it. Um, and also provided some alternatives uh, later on in the show of where I wish I would have gone. So uh, still a big Tyrese Proctor fan. I think he's really good. I Always have been. I, I just took him a little too high. So, Yeah, and one thing that I'll respect about you always, dude, is the fact that you will raise your hand and be like, yeah, I'm sorry, I, I effed that up. That was <laughs> on me. And uh, we can move on about our day. And speaking of which, man, like you do a Friday show, so sometimes one of the – the cool things is, is that you're the fun show. You get to send the listeners off on a nice, fun weekend. But today we got you on on Monday, which is kind of cool for you, right? Because we had a couple of debuts this weekend that we're going to be diving into, talking about Nick Smith Jr. Now, I understand before everyone comes to our heads that Nick Smith did not, in fact, debut technically, right? But we finally got a, a real introduction to his mm-hmm. game against San Jose State. And then we also got to see Cam Whitmore make his literal debut against Oklahoma. So knowing that Metcalf, like you get to respond to a Monday show as opposed to waiting until Friday where Rucker has to like keep all his pent up emotions in. Like that's got to feel good, right? Yeah, it's a little different of a of a mindset. I have to put on my, my Monday clothes, you know, act like an adult because we're starting out the week. You know, I, I'm not running around in sweatpants and just getting ready for the weekend. But um, Dude, I'm, yeah, I'm no, literally is, wearing sweatpants right now. Right, so I'm, like, I'm please, let's... Charge, so, you know, oh, okay. <laughs> perfect. All right. Yeah. So we this is a no shame zone. This is like nobody shaming Wear whatever the heck you want. Most of the listeners are just listening, not watching anyway. All right, so let's get serious, man. We're, we're kicking off the show on a good foot already. And also, just we'll let the listeners behind the scene a little bit. We spent 
you know, the the green room for the for the podcast, we were talking about how Eli Manning shouldn't be a Hall of Fame quarterback. And, you know, I, we both agree on that, man. So we did some great bonding about how, you know, if he doesn't beat Tom Brady, if it's against like Roethlisberger or Phillip Rivers or even his brother, probably not a Hall of Fame guy. And we're not a we're not a football podcast, so you can't hold us accountable for for any of those opinions. Right. Exactly. I and mean, he was just bang average. That was it. Um, he, he had a, a couple of incredible defenses that uh, carried him. But, hey, he got the job done. He got the silverware. And at the end of the day, that's all people kind of really tend to care about. Yeah, I mean, participation because of your <laughs> last name, because Tom Brady is so good as a quarterback that he got you into the Hall of Fame. So that's pretty cool. All right, so let's get into the meat and the potatoes of the show here, man. We're going to talk about um, Nick Smith Jr., a player that I'm heavily invested in because of my Arkansas ties. Um, love the Razorbacks. I try to be as unbiased as I can here on the show. I haven't written about any of them. I don't even watch them that much because I try to be as impartial and, you know, watch as many of these other prospects as I can. But I had to watch the San Jose State game because we got a number of guys on this team, man, that that look fantastic. They look amazing. We were worried, though, about how Nick Smith Jr. would look whenever he finally started getting ingratiated onto this team. So before we start digging in deep to what we saw, what were your initial thoughts coming into this game? Um, I, I thought he was going to be really, really important for this Arkansas team. Um, coming into the season, I had some concerns about kind of just like the outside shooting um, that was going to be available on this team. And I think early in the season, we saw a lot of that. Um, Anthony Black has been incredible operating as like that pure point guard role before Smith came back. Um, but so much of it is him just really pressuring the rim at an elite level. And he gets to do that because he is so much bigger than the guys who are basically forced into guarding him. Um, you know, as the competition gets better and the size and athleticism continues to increase, especially once they get into SEC play, I was a little hesitant about how effective that would be. But now with a guy like Nick Smith out there, he's, you know, a legit shooter. He can space the floor both on or off the catch. Um, so I, I just think just the overall offensive flow, the ball movement, the player movement, the versatility of that offense, I think he's going to be really, really important for them if they really are looking to make a title run. Yeah, and one thing that I want to start off with, man, is like our preseason analysis of how the Razorbacks were going to work this year. We had questions coming into the season, right? You talked about Anthony Black and how important that he is already to this team and how much he kind of launched himself into relevance, like real relevancy, like solidified himself among the top prospects of this draft class. Like people are we're already starting to say, like, is this a top 10 guy? Do you like him more than Dyson Daniels? Like we're getting all kinds of great dialogue about him already, which is good, right? Like we mm -hmm. want to see guys step into the spotlight and live up and exceed expectations. But we were concerned about him for the limitations that you just spoke of. And then we have Nick Smith Jr. who kind of plays the same position. You know, there's there's controversy. But is he a point guard? Is he a shooting guard? Like, what does he actually play? But playing alongside a guy like Anthony Black, you kind of wondered, like, Nick Smith, as good as an off-ball guy as he is, like, you do want to see him with the ball in his hands. Like, how good of a point guard or a lead can this guy be if he's on a team? Or is he simply just going to be a floor spacer for – maybe a jumbo creator with what we're seeing right now for Arkansas. So I was really happy with how we broke that down by saying that Anthony Black is probably going to have the ball in his hand a lot. And he did seemingly defer to Mr. Black a lot in this game, right? Yeah, um, I, I really liked how 
Smith just didn't really force anything. He kind of let the game come to him and he played within the flow of the offense. And, you know, I, I really liked what he showed as a passer. Um, there wasn't necessarily high level playmaking, but, you know, yeah. his ability to drive and kick or, you know, make that extra pass immediately on the perimeter. Uh, the ball never really stuck with him. He just kind of picked his spots. He was patient with it. His decision-making was really promising. Um, so and I, I would like to see him play more of that traditional point guard as the year mm-hmm. kind of progresses, because I just think that that will take that Arkansas offense to another level. Um, but Anthony Black has to continue to prove that he's – a competent shooter off the catch and he knocked down one catch and shoot three yeah. uh just without hesitation that looked really good in that san jose state game so if he can continue to show a little bit more of that then there are just so many different avenues that this arkansas offense can go down because you have two really adept ball handlers and if anthony black continues to prove that he can consistently knock down those shots and has confidence in the shot even just being willing to take it consistently will do wonders for him because then that opens up the whole drive and kick shot fake attack a closeout and then he can get to where he's really comfortable and that's attacking the rim yeah and we're starting to see guys like ricky council is really kind of yeah taking strides as a as a creator in a, in a way himself like probably going to finish plays a lot more than he is going to pass the ball but we're starting to see him show more confidence in his playmaking but let's go ahead and dive into what we saw in particular with with Nick Smith Jr in this game and we already talked about how he was kind of more deferential to Anthony Black you know still trying to fill his way onto this team but Nick Smith you touched on the passing uh finished the game with five assists and to me when I watched the game I didn't necessarily feel five assists I don't know if that's how you felt yeah, because and it never really felt like his play or like his passing was, you know, over the top or really take taking yeah. the the forefront of what he was doing. It was more of a complementary skill where, when you know he would put himself into positions that forced the defense to rotate or collapse on him, um, and then he just made the simple play every time. There wasn't anything with his passing that was like, oh my god, like did, yeah. that was an absurd pass. How did he make that read through four defenders or, you know put the perfect touch on that lob or anything like that. It was just like, Oh, that was a really smart pass. You know, there's the defense presented an opening and he capitalized on it. So it was just plain, really simple. And for this being his first like big minute debut, um, as you kind of prefaced earlier, it would be really easy for him to come out wanting to put up monster numbers and really force the issue across the board. And he didn't do that. And I thought that was really, really encouraging um, not just for his, you know, individual skill set, but first how he's going to impact this team in the long run. And then also just how he approaches the game from a mental standpoint and how he reads it and knows how, when and where to really pick his spots. Yeah. And I, I agree with a lot of that, man. And you touched about how it didn't necessarily feel like he was forcing the issue, which was really good, right? Because San Jose state, you kept hearing through all the commentary that, they don't want to rely on the one-three-one defense that they put up against Arkansas, but that was probably mm-hmm. what like eighty-five percent of what we saw. It was a lot. Yeah, yeah. So we we saw a lot of one-three-one, which, you know, the the idea of a zone right is like you want to be shot out, like you want to shoot a team out of the zone, right? Because they they can't touch you man to man. Like there's not a lot of teams that can do that against Arkansas. Play them straight up man to man, especially with what we saw from Nick Smith. And I thought it was great seeing him make just smart plays he didn't force the issue right like these five assists they were very much like let me hit the guy to the left or right I mean maybe hit the guy in the middle but we didn't really see him 
even send a lot of passes towards the middle to try to even break that one three one, did we? No, it, it was all just very measured and patient and controlled. Um, it was all right, where's the defense? Where's all right, if they're here, then that means my guy's open over here. I'm just gonna take an extra dribble and then make that pass. Or, you know, as the ball swing into me on the wing, I'm gonna make that immediate touch pass to my guy in the corner um, before the defense can really rotate and either take that pass away or take away a driving lane for him. Um, it was all just the, the timing was perfect. The, the mental processing of when and where to attack was really good. Um, just, I, I don't think he's going to be this, you know, near 10 assist guy um, either yeah. in college or the pros really, but I don't think he really needs to be because he's, continuing to show that he's just adept at keeping that ball moving, keeping the offensive flow going. It never stalls or sticks with him. Um, and that, and that's really rare for, you know, true freshmen because especially guys who have dominated come, you know, growing up with the ball in their hands because they've proven that they're awesome in that role and to immediately kind of adapt and play a, a secondary role, um, at least for this game, it's really impressive. Yeah, and also considering, too, that this Arkansas team is very much, like, smushed together. There's not a lot of cohesion on this team. But you couldn't tell, by the way, that they, they moved the ball pretty smartly around this 1-3-1 zone. So before we touch on the, the, the scoring, which is where everyone is going to want to go when talking about Nick Smith Jr., I want to talk about rebounding and defense, the fun stuff that everybody is just looking forward to, right? I wrote down in my notes, again, I love watching a game, Metcalf, before I even go and look at the box score, before I even try to, like, look at the graphic for it in the game, because I want to feel certain things before I go and then look at what that actually resulted in, literally. I wrote that he did not seem interested in going after rebounds at all. I was almost surprised that I saw that he got one uh, in the box score. He tallied one defensive rebound. And I know that it's not everybody's role and responsibility on the team. Arkansas loves to push a break, and having him in the open court obviously is probably more preferential. You have guys like Mitchell or his brother Mitchell or Brazil. You know, there's, you know, Walsh. There's people on this team that you want to rebound, even grabbing goes from Anthony Black. But I didn't see Nick Smith really interested in going down there and mixing it up. What, what did you think about that? Did that stand out to you when you were watching the game? Um, I'm not sure it necessarily stood out, but I also wasn't expecting any of that from okay. him. Um, I, I, he's like, what, six, five, I think he's listed at, um, Maybe. so <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, it, it would be nice for him to, you know, go in there and get rebounds and immediately start the break that way. Um, but I don't think they're really ever going to ask him to do that because I, mean, first, yeah. I don't think he's really ever shown much of that, um, coming, even coming into the year, but with Anthony Black, Jordan Walsh, Brazil, Ricky Council, these guys are bigger, they're better rebounders, and they also have the skill to then kickstart the break. So when, you know, uh, Smith is going to be doing the vast majority of his defense on the perimeter, he, you know, now he can contest, leak out, get to the corner for an early three, get to the rim for a hit-ahead pass, um, but he can then provide that offensive spacing immediately in transition while those guys who aren't as adept shooters push with pace and then can really pressure the rim and then find him on the perimeter if they do want to kick out. So I, I don't think he's ever really going to be asked to rebound. Um, I don't really expect him to do much of a rebounding. It'd be awesome if he did, because we, we always love guards who rebound and then can yeah. immediately push the break. But I think there are so many other guys on this team who are 
first better rebounders and second have more size and the skill to then do you know that immediate offensive initiation and transition i don't think it's ever going to be something that he's you know pressured into doing and and that's totally fair and i agree with you that responsibility wise probably not there he just really much seems satisfied by standing though and seeing the other this is like man that looks rough down there i don't want any part of that um but that's not to say that he's frail or afraid of contact because we'll we'll get into the defense now we saw him pick up ball handlers full length of the court multiple mm-hmm. times throughout the game very much interested in being a pest on the point of attack what did you think overall about the defense before we get into some of the nitty-gritty I liked it. I, I thought he looked – or I really liked the energy he played with. Um, I thought his lateral footwork was really promising. Um, he kind of showed his length and the amount of ground he could cover and just really deterred drives. Um, it'll be really interesting to see how that kind of holds up throughout the season because it's, you know, first big game back, getting minutes, have a lot of energy. You want to make this a point of, all right, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm locking this guy down. So hopefully it's mm-hmm. a season-long thing with him. Um, but his point of attack stuff on ball I thought was – overall really really promising and and encouraging um showing just the overall versatility of his game yeah for sure i it it stood out to me in a number of ways one thing that i thought was great about having nick smith especially him being able to run point of attack is we got to see a little bit of lineup variation with arkansas that we haven't really got to see a lot of i mean there was there were possessions where anthony black was guarding up to the threes and even the four like did that stand out to you when you were watching the game yeah, and it, it's similar to, you know, how he just elevates their offense. He can just allow everyone else on Arkansas to do more defensively because guys like Anthony Black and Jordan Walsh aren't worried about guarding that point of attack point guard anymore um, yeah. because while, you know, Nick Smith isn't going to be Davion Mitchell at point of attack, I don't think he's going to be some sieve either. I, I think mm-hmm. he competes enough. I think he has the physical tools to be good enough where now you can push Black and Walsh, who are awesome, defenders more towards those wings and you know i I really like anthony black's defense but i think he's kind of shown that he's struggled to stay with those really quick guards sure that's an area that nick smith can more comfortably address and now black and walsh are locking down the the wing threats um and they're able to kind of use their size a little more effectively there yeah i i agree with a lot of that man like anthony black being able to scale down a little bit more i I thought was fantastic for him and they now have a stable of guys you mentioned jordan walsh also obviously too like his whole purpose in life right now is just to be a hectic you know muck it up defender rebounder and break finisher obviously so seeing him being able to sell out even more when he's on the floor fantastic to see let's talk about some of the Mm man-to-man i i thought you know obviously point of attack defense picking a guy up three quarters of the way up the floor you know half court you know, top of the key, all that was very good. What did you think about the two-man interaction with him, though, responding to navigating around screens? Because there were a few possessions that I was like, I don't know if it's the defensive scheme for Arkansas where he always has to go over the top of it. I don't know if that's like kind of natural instinct for him, but it didn't seem like they were as much mix-up in how they were going to be covering San Jose State. And it looked like at certain points of the game that they were – going to take advantage of Nick Smith going over the top of screens, like almost exclusively. Yeah. And I I think there are a lot of, you know, there's going to be a natural learning curve like there is with all young guards. Um, And, you know, there, there are going to be some things that he has to clean up, but it it looked like they were trying to ice pretty much every 
pick and roll, mm-hmm. try and keep it on the side. And to do that, you know, you really have to aggressively sh- deny the middle and shade shade them towards the side. And that typically ends up with that point of attack defender going over the screen and feeding them into their shot blocker, which, you know, for a lot of the time is Trevon Brazil. I have some concerns yeah. about Brazil's overall off-ball defense, but I, I, his shot blocking, it, it is what it is. He's a freak athlete. He's a really good shot blocker. And, you know, if you're a point guard and you're staring down this dude, there, there are other people <laughs> I would prefer to attack the rim. Allow yeah. me to reconsider. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So, it, and then he, he has the length and the energy and um, just the quickness where he is able to kind of slither over that screen and then still get rim side without, you know, dying on the screen every time. So it, it, it wasn't perfect, but I, I thought there was kind of a lot there to build on. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that after one game, you know, we, we have learned everything that we need to know about him. Like he is not going to get any better. He's not going to get any worse. This is Nick Smith for, for here on out. So let's talk about his team defense, right? Mm -hmm. He, uh, we had a pretty interesting conversation about, you know, the whole no middle thing, whenever we were guarding point of attack offline. And I think that a lot of that is instinctual. You know, he is very much like an, an aggressive style defender. We see that whenever he is guarding point of attack help defense, I think that he shows a lot of promising instincts on that end. You know, when the ball is opposite side of the court, he is very much comfortable because he he's pretty bursty, right? Like he's not the most athletic guy, but he is very quick and cat-like um, in his abilities. When the ball is opposite side of the court, you know, we saw him help pretty deep, um, probably because of the whole no middle defense. What did you think about his team defense? I, I thought it was a work in progress. Um, you know, just going back to some of his high school stuff. Um, I thought he was a really good off ball defender when he was given a very specific assignment, like, yeah. Hey, chase this guy around. Do not let him catch the ball, you know, stay tight on him off screens. Don't let him cut, you know, stuff like that, where he's not really being asked to tag and recover and then rotate back up to the top and, you know, do, do a dozen things in a single possession. Um, I, I think if, and then in this game, I, I just kind of saw a lot more of that, you know, where it's mm-hmm. like, okay, if, if you keep it simple with him early on, I think there are going to be a lot of dividends from it where he's effective with that one or two, those one or two things that you ask him to do. And mm-hmm. if you start asking him to be that low man center fielder where you're tagging the role, recovering to the shooter, you know, handing him off when he drives and then rotating back up to the top of the arc, I think he's going to struggle with that. But if you're just telling him, hey, just stay tight to this guy. Awesome. Or, you know, when, when yeah. if you're, if you're above the break and the guy drives towards you, you, you know, dig don't necessarily help all the way off, but do a, a dig and recover stuff like that. I, I think you can work with it. Um, I, I didn't think anything with his off ball defense was necessarily bad, but it, yeah. it certainly wasn't his, you know, standout area. Yeah. I, I noticed a couple of possessions where I saw him in the passing lanes, you know, attacking pretty aggressively, lead to turnovers, lead to deflections, make the make the ball handler very uncomfortable. I I liked a lot of what I saw on the team defense aspect, especially when he's, you know, in help, not deny. Um, denial, I see a lot of what you were discussing, though. You know, when he's the next man over, um, struggled a little bit with the team concept, I felt like. But again, you know, he's first game in, re-ingratiating himself into this team beyond what we see or what he's used to seeing in practice. Uh, let's shift gears. Let's get into the fun part, the offense, this, this sh- the shooting and the scoring. Um, very sexy game, man. What would you think? Yeah, and 16 points on 
43% from the floor, 50% or 60% from three. I think it was three of five. Um, yep. It's, it's what you want to see. And the, the, the guy's an awesome shooter. Only a 50% free throw shooter. You concerned about the touch at all? He was one of two from <laughs> No, no, I, I, I'm okay. not concerned about the touch. Um, I, I just, you, you kind of mentioned earlier about his like change of pace movements where he's not this like yeah. over the top athlete, but I think he has a really quick first step. I think he has good length. I think he utilizes that change of pace uh, really well to kind of get to his spots in the mid range. Um, I, I really like the shot, um, you know, then just him being that reliable outlet when from you know ricky council driving kicks or anthony black yes. driving kicks or brazil post-ups having that really high level reliable outlet on the perimeter for them is going to be so important and I, I think as the season progresses um i think he's just going to even show more and more how effective he can be as that kind of off-ball combo guard um but just i i just still want to see him hunt his individual shot even more because i think there's so much variety to his scoring game mm -hmm. that i think we could see some really really fascinating stuff from him throughout the season yeah and we're, we're going to talk about this with the next prospect that that I already teased to be you know cam whitmore but i felt like nick smith played within the team and he didn't look to kind of stir up the water at yeah. all like i i look at these like again looking at the box score 14 shots it felt like it was less it didn't feel it like did. he was like going after or hunting hunting the shots like you you mentioned you know he even missed his first couple of jumpers it took him a little bit to get into that three of five i think he started out maybe oh of two if i remember correctly so you know went on a nice stretch of shooting there but i felt like he balanced the the shooting you know it wasn't just you know exclusively let me stand back here concerned about injury maybe you know or re-injury let me just stand back here let me be afraid to mix it up you know he dribble drive attacking the float game looked phenomenal i was very impressed with the, the floaters the touch around the basket and the willingness to also not just get tunnel vision whenever he was in position to score he did move the ball around to the next guy again wasn't very flashy or or, or sexy in that manner but it was a smart next pass over what did you think about the shot variety you know like if you could talk about maybe the uh the the float game because i think he did maybe airball one but that quickly left his mind and he continued to just like, no, th this floater is good. Trust me. You know, what'd you think about that? Yeah. And I, I think he has a lot of promises, a, a real three level score. Um, yeah. It'll be interesting to see how he can continues to handle contact at the rim because I mean, he's listed at 185 pounds. He looks like mm -hmm. it on the court too. Like he, he's a yeah. skinny dude. So I, I'm just really intrigued to kind of focus more in on his, at rim tendencies is he avoiding contact is he initiating contact and getting it getting into the shot blocker's body to take away their you know ability to elevate and block his shot what does his craft look like um and as the season progresses we'll obviously see so much more of that but i i really like the touch i like the decision making um what you said was perfect he he wasn't trying to you know rock the boat he just came in there played his role and just help that offense take another step forward overall um i coming out of high school i really liked his floater game and i thought he did yeah. a really good job of kind of disguising it between that or throwing that backdoor lob um that really kept that drop defender on their heels and kept them unbalanced and with Trevon Brazil, I think there's so much potential for him to just be a nasty they did not run much pick and roll with no. those two at all and you want to see that right 
that, that that's the big thing that I'm really excited for is just that two man game because Brazil's obviously mm-hmm. a freak vertical athlete. Um, he's been shooting a lot more from the outside than kind of on the interior with Nick Smith. I I hope we get a little more of that two man game where we see Smith, you know, come off that screen and then snake through and really freeze that drop defender and make him make a decision. And I I think his ability to disguise that floater as a lob and vice versa is a really high level skill that he can really continue to build on. Yeah, and I'm starting to feel really good about the show that I did coming into the season. I went on the uh, Draft Act show with Corey, and we we did a breakdown on Nick Smith. And I was really selling Keontae George even on the Nick Smith Jr. game because you, I felt like in the preseason we had to compare these two on where how they stack up one against each other because it's important for you know making your big board. But I was still very high on Nick Smith Jr. and some of the players that I likened him to when I had to do the sell me this pin, which is a very harder – uh, it's a hard to do exercise if you've never done it before, right? So uh, I went more for like your Darius Garland's and your Anthony Simons. And what's promising about Nick Smith Jr. is, is like similarly, he can kind of snake his way in. He's very slippery, slithery, however you want to say it. He is a multi-level scorer and you always have the threat, although he's kind of wired more to score, he's a very capable passer as well. So I was, I was pretty pleased with that. And for everyone that heard me uh, mess around here on my, on my desk, I thought I had the mic muted, so forgive me. Um, I was actually warned by that by our producer, Kevin Black. Shout out to Kevin. Um, and I'm sorry I didn't listen to you. <laughs> so we're going to shift gears here now and uh, talk about an actual debut. Uh, again, I, I understand that Nick Smith played a game before that. Um, Cam Whitmore against Oklahoma. It kind of seemed like a, uh, oh, hey, by the way, Cam Whitmore's going to play today, guys. Like, did, <laughs> yeah. did you know that? Did you feel that way too? Yeah, I, that I, I can't remember who, but it started circulating in our no ceilings group decks, and we we're all like, "Wait, what? Like, <laughs> this yeah. wasn't supposed to happen this week." Um, so yeah, it's really exciting. Kind of caught us all off guard, but he's, you know, he was one of the guys that everyone in the draft community was most excited about this year. So it, it was just really good to get him back on the court for a Villanova team that's been struggling. Yeah, and it was like Villanova got tired of everybody saying like, oh, yeah, you know, Cam Whitmore has been rumored to come back. And like, all right, fine, we're just going to play him today, (laughs) you know. Um, And I will say, man, like coming into the game, he was number three on my board, and I had to really control myself because I saw guys like Brandon Miller, you know, seeing guys like Anthony Black, uh, Grady Dick, who's more in the shooter, if you didn't know, um, seeing all these guys blow up. I kind of had to restrain myself and keep Whitmore there. And I'm very proud because he played 20 minutes. He, We're going to talk about the times in the game that he did not play and why I'm very upset about it. But within 20 minutes, he's the numbers aren't gaudy, right? Yeah. Like I'm about to talk about this guy. Like he put up, you know, Chris Murray-like numbers, you know, 30-20, you know. He only scored seven points on three of seven shooting. He only got three rebounds in. He got three steals, which I'm not going to say only. That's pretty impressive. But the imprint that he left on the game, you know, Metcalf, from the moment that he came in, it's like the complexion of the game changed. Like Villanova started to feel like they had an identity. What did you think about his overall game? It was good. It was it was a good debut. Um, he definitely looked like someone who hasn't played in a while, though, too. Um, they looked like there was a lot of rust that he kind of had to shake off. Um, yep. He's kind of positioning away from the ball, especially on offense. He looked a little uncertain of, and it, I, you know, I'm 
not saying it's anything damning with this game or anything. It just looked like it was a young kid who hasn't played for a while or played competitive competitively for a while. So it, it could have been way worse. It could have been way better. Um, but overall, I, I just thought it was a, a really solid game. And we'll, we'll go ahead and get into it now. In the first half, I thought my man was about to go on a crazy run. I thought he was about to have like a Nick Smith Jr. type game because we saw him offensively. Let's talk about the offense first. We'll, we'll kind of inverse it here. Offensively, he he had a drive to the basket where he finished, but they called a foul on the floor and they kind of had to redo a play so it didn't count. We saw him put up a three that he missed, but then he hits like a beautiful like combo dribble, step back, three-point shot, just silky smooth buttery. Like even his miss earlier was online. Like that miss, I even tweeted it out. I was like, that's a good-looking miss. Like it was in line. Like it wasn't a, a terrible miss. That combo dribble, step back, jumper, beautiful buttery. He comes in later and drives to his left, finishes with his left through contact. Amazing shot. You know, he's drawing contact. He's moving the ball. He didn't record a single assist, but that's not indicative to to the play that he had. Like, he was a very willing ball, ball mover. What did you think of the offense that we did see from him during that first half? Yeah, um, so coming into the season, I was skeptical about the shot. You know, I, I didn't really have yeah. strong feelings one way or the other. I just, I need to see more. And it, it's tough because obviously he had the thumb injury. He has the brace on the yeah. thumb. So, he has to have been here. He has to be affected in some form or fashion by it. I it would imagine that it's hard not to be. Um, what I've always loved about his game though, is just the rim pressure. He's an incredible athlete and his handle looks even better than it did before the season. So I, I think that's really encouraging. And when you talk about that, you know, that combo dribble step back three, you know, that that's exactly what you want to see from him. And the, the handle looks pretty good. Um, I'm pretty encouraged by it overall. Um, there were some possessions where he tried, you know, some between the legs behind the back and he just like lost it. There are a couple of those, which isn't great, but when, as he kind of irons out those inconsistencies, gets a little more comfortable being back on the court, continues to get back in game shape. Um, I, I think there's a lot there as him as like an on ball kind of creator, or at least out of isolation for himself. Um, yeah. The at-rim finishing, I think, is going to be really good all season. I don't really have any concerns about that. Um, it, it'll just, I think so much of his offensive impact is going to depend on how quickly he gets comfortable within the flow of the offense because there were times where he just looked a little uncertain. I don't think he's a ball hog or a black hole with it, um, but it would stick for like a fraction of a second where instead of like we talked about with Nick Smith, where hit his hands immediately out to that corner shooter, it would just catch pause and then he would make a decision. So I I'd like to see that processing speed, take a step forward and speed up a little bit, but it's so hard with these guys who haven't played because that's such a difficult, yeah. you know, it, it's a big leap to go from practice to a live game, especially against, a team like Oklahoma who isn't, you know, the most talented, but I, I think they're well coached and they run some good stuff. Yeah. And they got a player by the name of Grant Sherfield, who I, I love a lot. Like I'm, I say, I love a lot. He's not like a top 60 guy for me, but he's like a top, you know, 100, 110. And when you watch as many prospects as we do, like you still like players that far <laughs> down your draft board, right? Like there's some things about him that I really enjoy. Well, we'll talk more about, we'll talk more about this here in a second, but 
you touched on the processing speed and how he held the ball. How much of that do you think is really him, or how much of that do you think is Villanova? Because if you look at the guys on this team, like Dixon, like Slater, like Daniels, that's kind of what we're seeing, and it's almost anti-Villanova from what we're used to seeing. You know, there's the whole concept on this team is that what I was really excited about him committing to Villanova was that he was going to have, like, all these physical tools. He was very promising attacking the rim. He's got tools defensively. What I was expecting about him coming to Villanova and what I was expecting Kyle, you know, Coach Neptune to continue on was like the defense and the ball moving. And offensively, we'll stick here. Playing with a guy like Dixon and playing with a guy like Daniels, like he's got to be patient. You know, he's going to not get the ball at certain moments of the game. Those two hold the ball a lot. You know, like how much of that do you think is – really his processing or do you think that that's like style of play for the team i mean it, it it's a little bit of both um but i i think it's just a real symptom of this villanova team not having a incredibly experienced point guard for the first time in a decade there isn't a colin gillespie yeah. or ryan archie diacno you know C- caleb daniels is you know he's a grad student and he's a really good player who's been there a while but he was never really that lead point guard who really yeah. kept the offense flowing and you know didn't hesitate you know put pressured the rim kicked it out relocated was a threat from outside um and I think that system really, really needs that guy. And Villanova doesn't have it right now, who really just steers and guides everything. So may, maybe Whitmore can grow into that. I doubt it because just it's rare for a freshman to really do that, especially one who's not necessarily a, a point guard. Um, so there's a little bit of that. But I, I, I do think for him, it's just a little bit more of, hey, you're going to be asked to take on a huge role in this team. Yeah. And you got to prove that your decision-making, your processing speed, your, you know, lack of hesitation, I don't always need him to make the right decision, but just working out that hesitation and getting that hesitation out of a game is so important because as long as you're being decisive with what you're doing, it's tough for the defense to handle it. So I I think it was more of just working the rust off, getting back on the court for the first time in a long time. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think, his processing speed is a long-term indictment. I don't really have long-term concerns about it. It's just something, you know, next game or a week from now has it improved. And I, I expect it to. That's, that's totally fair. And I mean, we're going to see level of competition steadily increase, you know, Oklahoma, like you said, they're not, they're not a world beater, but they're, they're good level of competition being in the big East. Like they're, they're going to see some names uh, moving forward, but let's talk about the defensive side of the ball. This is where I was actually, I was more surprised there was more promise there than I was expecting because this is his first game in. I was you typically would see the offense would be the the better part of your game, especially you know learning that next level of competition, the speed, the quickness going up against a point point guard like Grant Sherfield, you would expect the defense to be a step behind, but as much as I liked his offense, his defense shown out a lot to me. There were times where he where they were switching and he wanted that matchup against Grant Sherfield and he stifled him on several possessions. You know, that help defense was there. He made good rotations that led to missed shots or even turnovers. I was very, very, very excited about the defensive potential that Cam Wentmore was showing, especially for a guy who he's not necessarily the tallest at his position. I think that uh, Rucker texted earlier that someone mentioned he was 6'9". I was like, he's 6'9 in my heart, but he's like maybe 6'6", 6'7". Um, 
and he's more of a bigger guy. So he's, he's more power than he is finesse. So there are concerns in that aspect about like what position he actually defends. I was very surprised and very excited about what I saw on that end. How about you? Yeah, I, I love the defense, you know, um, just under like my game notes for strengths. I, it's just defense. Like I didn't even break, oh I didn't break it down into more once. It's just, I, I really liked basically everything he showed um, on defense. And yeah, he's definitely not six, nine uh, ESPN and Villanova's roster have him listed at six, seven. And that feels a, a, a little more accurate. Um, but despite that size, I and mean, he has the athleticism and energy and recognition to be kind of that weak side rim protector. Um, he's super springer springy. We all know this, um, but mm-hmm. his ability to switch to be that point of attack defender at times where he would switch on ball screens and move his feet really well. And there were times where the opposing guard would get into the lane, but he never really allowed them to turn the corner on him and get yeah. into the lane. So even though they drove, they got inside the arc, he was using his strength and his footwork and agility to kind of keep them wider from the lane and never really, really pressure the rim at a substantial level. So his his willingness to rotate and switch and communicate and guard basically any area of the floor that was needed, I I thought it was just a really, really impressive showing from him. Yeah, and Villanova's going to need that because they don't have a lot of size on the front court, like a lot of strength, but they don't have a lot of vertical size Mm -hmm. on this team. All right, so... Metcalf, I, I made my voice known on Twitter for as many people who care to listen to my voice. I mentioned it in the group chat as well. Plug for the group chat. I was not a fan of Coach Neptune's decision to keep him off the floor after turning the ball over with like four minutes left of a very close game. And I, I'll shout out Corey Tola, but he did the same. He said the same thing when Brandon Miller he didn't get pulled from the game, but you could see that Alabama in that like 50 overtime game that they had a couple, you know, games ago where they kind of phased them out a little bit. They literally pulled Whitmore from this game and didn't put him back in. And we're talking about a guy who at the time I think was like third or fourth on the team in scoring and was tied for leads and rebounds. He had three steals in the game. He changed the complexion of the game from the first moment he stepped on the floor Villanova won the game, so Coach Neptune is going to feel completely justified, but I think that it's absolutely criminal that you have your highly touted recruit in your first season in a very storied program to just, like, not play this guy. He only played 20 minutes, and sure, like, you can claim that there was a minutes restriction, but before that turnover, it was like they were like, what minute restriction, you know? He turned the ball over one time. He didn't come back on the floor again. And it was on, and you touched on it. It was on a ball handling. The dribble got a little high, a little carried away. He outran his dribble. I get that you want to coach the guy. I get that you want to win games. You were, I think, like two and six at the time. I still think that Villanova could have won the game with the players that like pull one guy, like even let Daniels hold the ball for 30 seconds and then drive at the basket. Like whatever you want to do, just leave your guy out there to gain experience. What did you think of the decision? Am I just crazy because I have this guy thrown on my board and I just want to see him more? Like, you can call me crazy if I'm crazy. No, I'm sorry. It, it's always tough to know, especially when guys come back from injury because, you know, 20 minutes, very round number, feels like a, a pitch count type thing. Um, but also with, like, a thumb injury, it's like, really? Like, we're doing pitch count on thumb it was injuries? after a turnover, like, too. <laughs> right. So it's like, it also, it, it could have been something that, 
has been reoccurring in practice that they've talked to him about before, where maybe he went outside of what they were wanting to do that possession on offense and he got sloppy with it, forced it. And it, it wasn't, you know, what they wanted. Uh, college coaches are notorious for being super control freaks. You, you kind of yeah. have to be to be in that role. Um, but from a watching perspective, it's always infuriating. So I, I and I, I don't really have any major thoughts on it besides that. I just want to see as much Cam Whitmore as possible. So hopefully whether it was an OCD control issue or a minute restriction or a teaching moment or whatever. Hopefully uh, that that was a one-time thing and we start seeing him more in the 30 to 35 minute range. All right. So for the record, Metcalf is furious alongside me and we will. I, I rate. <laughs> I'm livid. <laughs> he was cussing right before the show. You just saw him. All right. Um, we'll shift gears now from guys that made debuts. We're still learning things about. I'm going to go ahead Metcalf and shift to a guy that you recently wrote about. Very glad you did. I have this guy top 80. You know, I, I like him a lot. And I understand that there's probably a wide variance on where people have this guy ranked right now as a sophomore on a very good team in Creighton, averaging close to 12 points, five boards, over two assists a game, almost a steal and a half. He's shooting 50, 40, 86. So not quite elite at the 50, 40, 90 range. Still very good though. Um, we're talking about guard Trey Alexander. Was this a guy that you had high expectations for coming into the season because of how he performed as a freshman? Or was this a guy that performed well as a freshman and you were just kind of like, let's wait and see what this kid really has? Uh, I, I had pretty high expectations for him coming in. Um, I loved what he showed as a freshman. Uh, the biggest thing was just inconsistency and a lack of confidence in the jumper. And mm -hmm. This season, he's shown an improvement in both. The The shot looks good. The confidence is through the roof with him. Yes. Uh, you mentioned you had him top 80. I have him at 25. I, I think he's a first-round guy. Which is in um, the top 80. I mean, we're both right. <laughs> so we both have him top 80. <laughs> yes. um, I, I, I think he's one of the best perimeter defenders um, in this class. I love how he moves his feet, uh, the defensive playmaking, the positioning, the reliability from him on that end. Um, and then just the, the scoring versatility and confidence has just taken a monumental leap this year. Yeah. So I believe, I forget the name of the award, you know, diehards, please forgive me, but Creighton had like their entire starting five on a, an award watch for their position. So there was a lot of expectations coming in for Trey Alexander to me, what really stands out about this guy, I mean, we're, we're talking about a 41% three-point shooter, uh, two and a half assists a game, which I think is a really good number considering he's playing yeah. alongside Nebhart, who is, might be, I'm not saying he's one of the top prospects, but if you're talking about top point guards in the country right now in college basketball, one he of the rocks. best. So the fact that Alexander is getting almost two and a half assists a game, that's great. That's fantastic. Uh, especially Baylor Shireman likes to move the ball around as well. He's still a very effective part of this offense, moving the ball, shooting. I love his defense, man. I love the fact that he is going to pick up the best backcourt player on this team. Not to say that Nebhart's also actually a really good defender, but Alexander completely outclasses him in that aspect. What about his defense stands out to you? Is it more so the on-ball dog stuff that I really appreciate, or is it more so the team aspect, maybe a combination of both? 
It it's honestly all of it. Um, I, I think his footwork is sublime. Um, I love his screen navigation. You know, I think these are really just down in the dirt things I'm talking about here, but that his, his ability to move his feet and move them quickly and stay on balance and get skinny and get, get around screens, um, whether it's going over or under, he varies up how he navigates screens, which really, you know, it's difficult for ball handlers to get used to because they never know what's what look they're getting. It also allows the team to throw a variety of kind of defensive looks out there. Um, so his ability to kind of get over the screen also makes life a lot easier for Ryan Kalkbrenner to yes. really sink back in the paint and not come out to the perimeter more to contest pull-up jumpers because Trey Alexander's going to be there. If the guy comes off a screen and pulls up, it's rare that Trey Alexander's completely taken out of the play and not affecting the shot somehow. Um, I think he communicates at a really high level. He switches. He's He wants to defend, and he plays with so much energy and confidence and physicality on that end of the floor, which we just don't typically see from a lot of shooting guards. Yeah, and I think something that Creighton needs to really address, it stood out to me in their matchup against Texas, where Kalkbrenner, he's very blessed in the fact that he has a guy like Alexander who isn't just going to funnel a guy towards him because as as much as we praise Kalkbrenner for his defense, you know, for his height, his length, his, his instincts, Texas kind of exposed him. They did some pretty creative things on the back door uh, against him that I think teams are going to look at really hard and try to replicate, and other teammates of Alexander are going to have to step up on the defensive side of the ball to keep Cockburner's uh, name and, and, you know, hope for an award a little bit more cleaner than what it looked like in that Texas game. Uh, we'll, we'll shift gears here. Uh, a guy that I wrote about by the time that everyone is listening to that or to this show wrote about him yesterday, that being Azulis Tubelis from Arizona. Um, really like this guy, man. I, I was a big fan of him coming into the year. I have a first round grade on him. You probably have him top 80 as well. Um, I have, he's got 19 points per game, almost eight rebounds, two assists. He's putting up 64% uh, from the floor, shooting a, a blistering 50% on low volume from deep and 84% from the free throw line on a, on actually good, decent volume there. So implications that his touch is actually improving. Again, I'll ask you, what were your thoughts coming into the season about Azulis Tabellis? Where do you stand with him right now? So Tabellus has always been one of the most frustrating evals for me because I, I really liked him as a freshman. It's like, oh, God, okay, this guy can move. He's got skill. Really excited to see how his game progresses and evolves. And I don't know, I, I, I very easily could be alone here, but it doesn't feel like it's taken the leaps year over year that I expected or at least wanted it to. Every game this year, I come away just a little underwhelmed by him. But then you look at the box score and he's just put numbers, putting up numbers across the board. I'm like, when did this happen? Or is he just paying the, the scorekeepers to just boost his numbers? Um, yeah, tally that so one I, up for me, boss. Yeah. yeah. So I, it, it's tough because I, I like the idea of him. But just when I watch him, it never feels like he's really taking over or having the massive impact that his numbers are telling me he's having. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's going to be one of these season long things with him where, you know, one game I'm moving him up 20 spots. The next I'm moving him down 20 and I'm just all over the place with him. Um, and my, my heart and head are constantly battling on where to put him because I he's just really, really tough for me right now. So whichever one of your organs is saying put him up, listen to that one. <laughs> Literally any organ will do. Um, I like Tubelis a lot. And I think what kind of 
what I think could kind of muddy the waters for people is the fact that Arizona will exclusively play him at the four and yeah. we will not get to see him as a five for whatever, whatever reason. Like last year we got to see Christian Coloco this year, Umar Balo actually looking pretty good. I had low expectations for him coming into the year. Um, has pretty substantially surpassed him. I don't know if I have him, you know, as a draftable grade yet, but he's, he's moving up the board, but to Bellis, I think that kind of does him a disservice because if he does get drafted, when he does get a shot in the NBA, I think that he'll probably at least get a game for people to see what he looks like. Right. I think we want to see what he looks like as the primary big, yeah. you know, he's not a world beater as a rim protector. I'll, I'll acknowledge that now, but the NBA has shown that you can be a successful center without being a big blocks guy, you know, without being a complete like vertical rim protector. There are defenders that play the center position that have smart hands, which I think Tubelis does. I think that he can, you know, fend things away from the rim. And I think that he moves well too. The fact that he does play for, I think speaks to his footwork and his actual speed that he would bring positionally to, to, to being a center in the NBA and you can do so much with him offensively. I love the fact that the offense can flow through him. Two assists per game is a big. That's kind of like what we've grown accustomed to seeing from him. Uh, he runs the fast break very well. I think that DHOs, horn sets, running through the block, even top of the key stuff, I highlighted some of that in the, the article as well. I think offensively, he does enough to where he could be a, a positive contributor on that end. What do you think about his offense? Yeah, and the the – that's the big selling point with him is just the overall offensive versatility, um, yeah. the agility, the footwork, the balance, the movement. It's all really, really impressive um, for his size and position. And it's basically the kind of minimum of what you have to have to be an NBA guy. So that combined with his passing, I, I think he's a really good passer. Yeah. Um, a lot of the high low stuff they run um, is possible purely because of how good of a passer he is and he sets up umar Barlow on some super easy layups and dunks so i i wouldn't hate if we saw a little more kind of playmaking and offensive initiation from him either out of the post or from the elbow or even just top of the arc stuff where you know he doesn't have to be breaking guys down off the dribble because i don't that's not his game but just you run a little motion get him into a spot at the elbow or top of the arc and allow him to just give him a little more reign as the decision maker and playmaker. I, I think we'll, we would see some really, really interesting stuff from him. Uh, I'd like the scoring on the inside a lot. Um, and in transition, like you mentioned, I know the shooting numbers are what they are, but it's barely an attempt a game, I think from outside. And he's got this like yeah. low push release. that kind of comes out from in front of his face that I don't love. Um, I'm, I'm hesitant to buy it in their most recent game. I mean, I think it was against Utah. They were sagging like yeah. way off him. They were like, please shoot. And a lot of the times he didn't even look at the rim. So it's like, I, I, I'm not sure if I really buy the outside shot. Um, I, I That's probably the part of his game that I really wished we saw a lot of improvement in the last mm -hmm. couple of years. But like you said, they only allow him to play the four. They play a more traditional two big high, low offense so maybe it's just a thing of he's not being asked to do it because the, the, the free throw numbers are solid. The interior scoring numbers are good. He's got good touch around the rim. Maybe there's something there to build on. I'm just hesitant to really buy in on that outside shot. And I, and for what it's worth, I totally understand the skepticism 
that folks would have about putting him in first round. I have him at the tail end. I think last time I looked at my board, I had him like 28. So like not married to this guy as like a surefire NBA guy. But I think that once we see him kind of pulled from one spot in college and put in another spot in the NBA, I think that he could look like a completely different player on both ends of the floor. So Metcalf, before we close, I want to give two shout outs. I listed five sleepers on my article. And uh, I want to give two shout-outs in particular. The first one, Keyshawn Gilbert out of UNLV. Uh, point guard there, sophomore, looks fantastic. I think Corey said that he had movement patterns. Uh, that rival, Jay Nivey, who I think everyone in the world was uh, in love with last season. Um, I, And I'm sure Corey, too, as well. Like he's, We're not saying he is Jay Nivey, but as a guy who probably wasn't on a lot of radars last year, He's stepped up and he's looked really well. I think that he plays defense very aggressively. I like his playmaking and I like his scoring. And then the last guy that I want to give a shout out to is Brandon Podziemski out of Santa Clara, the school that just lost Jalen Williams. And everyone probably thought like, oh no, they lost their only NBA player that they're going to have for a long time. You know, shout out Steve Nash. Brandon Podziemski comes in transfer from Illinois. Like imagine if Illinois could have kept this kid. Like he is a walk in 20 and 10 as a guard, like as a six five guard, this guy will go off. He can shoot inside, outside, passes the ball pretty well as well, but cl- crashes the glass, um, just looks phenomenal. So if you haven't had a chance to watch any Santa Clara ball, I get it. I understand they're on late. They're in the WCC. I get it. Whenever you can, please watch this guy because he's probably going to be a name that rises up the ranks over the uh, the long, grueling college basketball season that we have ahead of us. So, Metcalf, before I let you go, I didn't brief you on this, and I'm going to ask a question that I haven't heard you ask in a very long time. What's the best thing that you've seen in basketball lately? Yeah, I I, I, I brought it back on Thursday's show last week. I made Rucker. I, I put Rucker in the exact same spot that you're putting me in now. How's it um, taste? Oh boy, you're on oh, medicine. The worst. I hate Delicious. all of it. Uh, <laughs> Oh boy. Uh well first off, like with, with uh Brandon, I you guys have been talking about him a ton on the side and you know off air. So I, I'm very excited to really dive into his film because he's just one of these guys that I haven't been able to yet. Um I guess he's I'll stop Philip Buster right now. <laughs> oh I yeah. oh god, I bet based on some of the numbers he's putting up. Um yes. I, I was incredibly impressed with Casey Wallace today against Michigan. Um, Talk about it. I haven't seen the game. He was, and the the numbers. I I don't know what they are off the top of my head, but I, I don't think they were overwhelming. But everything he did was it was like he was a senior. Um, he is mm. such a steadying presence on both ends for this team. His decision making, his ability to play on or off ball, uh, the the defense. He shot really well. I definitely buy the shot long term. Um, his ability to pressure the rim. I, I know Michigan's defense sucks. I acknowledge that. I hate every aspect about it, but he was, he also made them look bad on defense. Yeah. It wasn't just because Michigan has a, has a struggling defense. He, the strides that he's taking, um, I, it wouldn't surprise me if he's, you know, a top 10 pick come draft time, because he, he's just showing just a really high level ability to do a bit of everything on the floor. How did your boy Jet look? Uh, okay, he had he had a couple ISO creations uh, shot okay, um, and the the defense is what it is. And when 
and Michigan doesn't really have that third go-to scorer right now. So, so much of the defensive attention is on Hunter and Jet. And as the season progresses, I, I think it could be a little tough for them if a guy like Terrence Williams or Kobe Bufkin, um, you know, really doesn't take over as that's yeah. tertiary scorer. Um, driving lanes and passing lanes are going to start getting a whole lot more crowded for them. Well, at least you have you know, Jet Howard there to, to give you something to look forward to that and Hunter Dickinson. Do you have Hunter Dickinson higher or lower on your board than Tabellus? Uh, a little higher. Unforgivable. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's switch over to some housekeeping right now. Um, I'll speak for my buddy, Nathan, who well, I should say our buddy, right? Like I know that no, I'm just, more just, his friend. Just your buddy. Just yours. Okay. I'll take it back. My <laughs> friend, your colleague, uh, Nathan Grubel. Uh, he's got an article that's dropping the same day that you're listening to this podcast where he is going to recap what we saw from Cam Whitmore and much, much more. Nathan writes his heart out in these articles. I love reading every word of the like 30 minute read. No, I'm just kidding. But in all seriousness, Nathan does a fantastic job on yes, his article. I, I do literally love reading every word of it. And he's highlighting the Cam Whitmore game that we just briefly touched on and uh, so much more in his piece uh, tomorrow. The, the day that you're going to be listening to Home and Away, um, Maxwell's piece is going to be out where he wrote about Amani Bates, and he got some really good insight from someone who's pretty plugged into the program, so you probably want to read that article and get a little bit more insight on Amani Bates. You can follow Nathan at Draft Deeper. You can follow Maxwell at Baum Boards. That's B-A-U-M-B-O-A-R-D-S. That's really hard for me to spell <laughs> that. I don't know why. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at Stephen G. Hoops. Before we go, Metcalf, anything to plug for upcoming shows, upcoming articles, you know, fun projects that you're doing on the side? Like if you're into woodworking, you know, anything, you know, let's go ahead and air it out. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a big time whittler. Everyone knows that. Uh, Everyone no, knows no, this, no, yeah. no, no woodworking <laughs> um, activities for me. Uh, just no ceilings on BA.com. It's all free. Go check it out whatever goes up, it's going to be good. Um, yeah, that that's it. That's all I got. Just anything and everything, no ceilings. All right. Yeah. Follow uh, Metcalf on Twitter at whittling man, uh, six, nine, six, nine. Uh, anyway, I, I feel I like that'd be a very dangerous account to follow. So I, 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 I do not advise. I'm not signing off on that. <laughs> that's not a door. Sorry. Before we get pulled off of the show here, um, shout out to the rest of the no ceilings crew. Everybody is doing, incredible work uh continue to like share subscribe rate and review to the podcast feed it was very awesome to get to see a lot of people share their wrapped up for the year where they, cool. they shouted out no ceilings and it's only getting better because everyone is on no ceilings now so for all the likes and reviews and stuff that we got last year let's make this upcoming year even better because we have a lot of great things coming in the works so like, share, subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends about the podcast. Listen to us Monday through Friday. Tomorrow we got Home and Away. Wednesday we got Deep Dive. Thursday we got Draft Deck. And then Friday we got the flagship No Ceilings NBA show. And then, again, follow NoCeilingsNBA.com for all your uh, draft prospect needs. All right, so shout out to Kevin Blank for holding it down on the ones and twos in the background. And we will catch up to you all next time. Much love, y'all.